Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello, my name is Kelvin Cheetle, Director of the HRA Service at Capstix. Together with NHS Employers, we have recently run workshops in London, Leeds and Birmingham to talk to you and the HR community about pay progression and appraisal. We appreciate that it is not always possible to get along to one of these sessions, which is why we are bringing you these podcasts. I'm going to talk to you about how to implement some of the changes outlined by NHS employers from a practical perspective and hopefully offer some helpful advice and tips. Firstly, a little about the HR advisory service which we refer to as HRA. Capstick's HRA offer practical support and advice to help NHS organisations implement HR policies effectively. We have worked with NHS employers on the recent Agenda for Change Freedoms, including embedding appraisal and objectives in your organisation. We also offer support on employer relations, pay, training, investigatory and change management products. Our team of qualified NHS experienced HR staff understand the culture and requirements of the service in organisations like your own. We work closely with Capstick's legal team to provide joined up and secure solutions and with NHS employers to make policy advice into implementable and effective packages and we aim to deliver those to time and budget. Turning to the issue of appraisal, performance management and setting objectives. When we ran the seminars in London, Leeds and Birmingham, we tried to focus very much on the key issues that help organisations deliver these changes. And the building blocks I'm going to talk to you about today are appraisal and assessment, setting objectives, measuring performance, handling difficult cases and senior staff progression. So firstly, let's start with the issue of appraisal and assessment. And as everybody in the HR community will know, this is the bedrock of making sure you have a proper and fair mechanism for measuring objectives and in turn translating that into pay. So on appraisal and assessment, the question to ask, I guess, is how good is your existing scheme? What does the staff survey tell you about both take-up and staff buy-in to the arrangements you have? I think it's important to consider here that one size doesn't fit all. It is possible to use the KSF for ancillary and support staff, 360 degree appraisal perhaps for band 7 and above, or preceptorship arrangements for band 5 nurses you may use one or some or all of those arrangements 
but the important thing is that the scheme is embedded and that staff use it and accept its value to the organisation. With the introduction of revalidation for doctors, it's clearly important the revalidation process links to appraisal for medical staff, but also the lessons from revalidation can give important feedback for clinical teams more broadly. It goes without saying that both appraisees and appraisers require training. Much of the guidance focuses on the skills that appraisers need to have, but appraisees equally need training. Managers need good and relevant HR support to deliver the task. In my experience, managers find it difficult to have some of these conversations with people they work with every day. And it's worth all of us remembering that appraisal is not an optional extra. It is an essential to deliver good patient care and safety, and we only need to look at the lessons of the Francis Report to have that brought home to us. If you go to the NHS Employers website, there are some exemplar case studies about appraisal, and I recommend to you the Salford Royal NHS Foundation Trust example, and we'd be very happy to help with implementation of that or any other scheme. So, let's assume you've got a workable and well-supported appraisal scheme. The issue then is setting objectives. And this is the cornerstone of a successful and measurable appraisal process. I think it's important to remember here that all jobs require smart objectives. And yes, for those of you who've forgotten, that specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound. Some organisations have tried to tackle this task by objective setting in job families and professional groups. This makes the task much more achievable. They've developed core objectives based on trust values for everybody and bolted onto those individual criteria for different job families and professional groups. Staff buy-in to these is absolutely critical. If they don't understand the values, they can't translate them into the behaviours and the competences you want from them. And again, could I please draw your attention to the employer's website and look at the Derbyshire Community Trust exemplar, which again gives some excellent examples of how to set objectives in a practical way. So we have a workable appraisal scheme. We've got some objectives for all staff groups in the organisation. The issue now is how are you going to measure performance? Uh, that wonderful management guru from the 1980s, Charles Handy, said, performance measurement standards should be explicit and objective, based on clear objectives and their fair assessment. It's a fairly obvious statement, but it's the core of what we're trying to deliver here. So some tips and help to try and make sure this happens in your organisation. Firstly, patient care and safety outcomes should form the core of measuring performance for clinical staff. If you have a very poorly performing clinical area, it would be rather illogical to have a superb set of appraisal outcomes for them. 
Some organisations are using ranking and weighting scales to help assessment and deliver progression. So for example, they use the benchmarks of excellent, very good, good, satisfactory and poor, and they will determine who out of those rankings will get pay progression. Previously, under the old Agenda for Change arrangements, the supposition was that if you were satisfactory, you got an increment. There's no requirement in the new arrangements to say satisfactory is acceptable. It's up to you and your organisation to set the bar where you want, so long as it's fair and objective and is based on evidence. So you can say that only the good and the excellent performers will get incremental progression. It's again a truism, but those of us in the HR community know that 90% of employee relations cases result from a lack of early and effective remedial action. How many times have you viewed a capability case and found out the individual in question has excellent appraisals? So appraisal should reflect issues honestly, and progression should be earned and incentivised. Poor performance should not be rewarded. And again, managers need lots of good HR support to manage those difficult conversations. So let's turn to handling the difficult cases. This is the key skill set in managing performance, in my opinion, because if we work on the basis that 60 to 70% of staff are going to perform well or above average, it's tackling those who aren't that's the issue. Assessments must be evidence-based not personality or subjectively driven. If that happens, it will lead to difficulty and challenge and vulnerable ground for the organisation. Nothing in the new arrangements changes the essential approach of giving people the opportunity to improve and address performance gaps. That should always be the bedrock of this approach. And we need to distinguish between average performance that requires support and development, poor performance that needs some more remedial action, and grossly unacceptable performance requiring referral to a capability procedure. One of the more interesting aspects of the new arrangements is how to treat pay for senior staff. And this concerns those staff who are in bands 8C and above. There's scope for innovation in these arrangements and breaking the mould, one might say, for pay arrangements across other staff groups and some organisations are going to use their senior staff arrangements as a testbed for how to approach pay progression in the future. Bonus payments can be used as incentives and reward but still need to accord to best practice principles to avoid accusations of elitism. So, if the feeling is that senior staff are getting large bonuses whilst everyone else is stuck, that's not going to help the cohesion of the organisation. Reflecting the balance between core pay and performance pay can bring real benefits and incentives. And what some organisations are planning to do is restructure the composition of pay for their most senior staff to reflect this. So, for example, 80% of their pay may be based on their core performance and contract 
the 20% may be the element that might be earned as a bonus. The choice here is between locally determined pay arrangements using some of these more radical approaches or using the existing agenda for change bans and having annually earned pay for the top two increments. Again, many organisations out there are developing proposals now. We are working with them and we and NHS employers will be happy to share some of that thinking with you and your organisation. And then finally, I think just a reflection on this whole topic is, how are we doing? Do the patient and staff survey results correlate to pay outcomes? One of the criticisms of reports like Francis is appraisal hasn't really been meaningful. We need to make sure we take this opportunity to use appraisal, as other organisations in the public sector do, to properly measure performance and reward it. What is the trust profile benchmark with other organisations by specialty and geography? I think the new arrangements for senior staff will lead to more benchmarking across organisations to say, how are we doing? How do we pay compared to them? It's much more of a private sector model. And if 360 degree appraisal is used, do the outcomes match the performance profile? Just as with clinical teams, a high-performing organisation should be reflected in the pay and performance of the senior team. And the bottom line in all this is, does the trust get best value for its pay and reward strategy? This is an opportunity for NHS organisations to mould their own pay and reward strategy to suit their circumstances. And we wish you luck in your efforts to progress this issue.